Our representatives decide who will be able to vote. They decide who will be able to stave off for one more month the plunge into a poverty from which there is often no escape. They decide who will be the judges that interpret our laws and who will be the people who will enforce and prosecute them. Their decisions directly affect your life. You need to have a voice in choosing who will make those decisions. Fred's Front Porch Podcast is made possible by the generous support of Jenner Zeno of Studio Stargazer, Alex Oliphant, 2021's unofficial patron saint, Jean Louise Finch, our official patron saint, Coralie Day with Scott Knight, Edith Keeler, and listeners like you. Greetings, fellow traveler on this rock tumbling through space. I'm Fred. This is my front porch. Come on up, have a seat, and let's talk a while. There are ideas to be discussed on this old set of nicely nailed-together boards. Let's buy a little lighthouse on the of nothing and nowhere We'll grow tomatoes and drink mojitos on the front porch stairs The heart, the heart of, democracy. of democracy The most important part of any free society is the right to vote It is our ability to make our voices heard at the ballot box that grants us what power we have. Nearly all of us feel as though we have too little power, as it is, to do anything to deny any citizen the right to vote, or to make it more difficult to vote is, in my view, patently patently immoral. Let's get the talking points out of the way, off the top. Number one. We must protect ourselves from fraud. Nonsense. Voter fraud is all but non-existent. If you are truly concerned with that, let's see what we can do about changing to something called blockchain voting. Even a brief Google search, however, brings up many suggestions that this, too, may be insecure. Evidently, this form of internet voting can still be hacked, despite the many claims I have heard to the contrary. Do you know more about blockchain voting than I do? That wouldn't be difficult. Please call the show and tell me what you know, and whether this is really a secure and feasible idea to make elections both secure and easily accessible for as many people as possible. 480-331-9822. I have no objection to making voting secure, but I also have no reason to believe it isn't already. The idea of making elections more secure is a solution in search of a problem. 
The Brennan Center's seminal report on this issue, The Truth About Voter Fraud, found that most reported incidents of voter fraud are actually traceable to other sources, such as clerical errors or bad data matching practices. The report reviewed elections that had been meticulously studied for voter fraud and found incident rates between 0.0003% and 0.0025%. Given this tiny incident rate for voter impersonation fraud, it is more likely, the report noted, that an American will be struck by lightning than that he will impersonate another voter at the polls. The link to the article is in the show notes. Number two. There are people who shouldn't be allowed to vote. Really? Why is that? Let's go through the most common list. First, there are convicted criminals. There's debate about whether they should have their right to vote restored to them once they have served their sentences. I understand that there are people who need to be locked up to keep the rest of us safe. I don't deny the need for a prison system of some sort, but why can't they vote? What is it you're afraid they're going to do? The worst I can imagine is they will vote for people who are most likely to repeal the laws they were convicted of breaking. I have no objection to someone voting to repeal the laws against marijuana. I'll go further and suggest that Oregon has it right. They have decriminalized possession of all drugs. Why do we need to lock someone up for possessing drugs if they get wasted and commit a crime in which someone is hurt? By all means, arrest them. But owning something? that isn't dangerous to others, is no reason for one to lose the liberty, both physical and political, that is the birthright of all people. I don't think they're going to find many candidates running on the idea of legalizing murder, rape, or car theft. So, let them vote. Let them vote. If it were up to me, they would be voting from their prison cells. They are still human beings. They deserve the right to have their voices heard. The Founding Fathers didn't intend, I realize, for most people to vote. Slaves weren't allowed to vote. Women weren't allowed to vote. We've eliminated, at least superficially, slavery, and I prefer we don't eliminate women. It's fairly commonly accepted that women and black people should be allowed to vote. I don't think there's anyone sitting on our front porch tonight who would seriously try to argue these folks should be disenfranchised. Next, there is the idea that illegal aliens shouldn't be allowed to vote. Please don't, in my presence, ever refer to these people as illegals. It is not illegal to be a person. When this occurs, we will be living in a dystopian nightmare. They may be in America illegally, but that doesn't make them illegal. It may, I suppose, make them criminals, 
but I am truly sickened by the idea that there are people who will go to prison or be thrown out of the country because they lack the paperwork to be here legally. Legally. Paperwork exists to ensure nothing ever gets accomplished, or such has been my experience. I'm sure many of you are fans of paperwork. To me, it's a symbol of mistrust. It's true, it seems, only if it's committed to paper. To paper. To paper. Our government moves at a glacial pace. Earning citizenship cannot only be prohibitively expensive, but it can also take years. All the while, people are trying to live. Mothers and fathers, daughters and sons, infants, all just trying to live lives while they wait and wait and wait for paperwork to be completed. There is nothing magical about the paperwork that makes them better people than they were before it was processed. It simply says they were patient, they persevered, they persisted, and they paid. If you live in this country, you should have a say in how it's governed. Other countries don't do this? Okay, let's be better than other countries. Number three, the last election was stolen. This must never happen again, so we need more prohibitive voting laws. I don't think you really believe that. The evidence that the 2020 election was accurate is overwhelming. The myth that the election was stolen is commonly referred to as the big lie. It's been thrown out of court more than 60 times. Ballots were counted and recounted. On the front porch, we discuss ideas that lead somewhere. We've spent far too much time with this nonsense already. No, the election was not stolen. If you have evidence to the contrary, Please turn it over to the proper authorities. I think we have addressed the most common talking points now. So let's move on to why they're just wrong to try to make voting more difficult. Whether you are a Republican, a Democrat, a Libertarian, a member of the Green Party, the Communist Party, or the Frat Party, you get to vote. You get to vote. Your you voice vote. counts exactly as much as mine. Regardless of how much I may disagree with you, I want you not only to have the opportunity to vote, but I would like you to make use of it. Democracy works best when... Oh, wait. I heard that. We don't live in a democracy, Fred. We live in a constitutional, constitutional republic. Oh, aren't you clever? You're so much smarter than I am. I suppose you must have read a history book once. I shall bow to your superior knowledge. I am cowed by the overwhelming power and magnitude of your argument. We don't live in a democracy. You're right, I'm wrong. There's a difference between the two. Let's see what a three-second Google search 
reveals on this important bit of political knowledge. In a pure democracy, laws are made directly by the voting majority, leaving the rights of the minority largely unprotected. In a republic, laws are made by representatives chosen by the people and must comply with a constitution that specifically protects the right of the minority from the will of the majority. So, you know, voting doesn't really mean anything. It's not a democracy, except, oh, wait again. Yes, yes, as it turns out, voting does matter. Laws are made by representatives chosen by the people. How do we choose these representatives? Do we do it by drawing lots? Perhaps by tossing darts? No, no, you're right. We do this thing called, uh, what's it called? Oh, yes, voting. 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 Making it more voting. difficult to vote is making being an American, being a free human being, more difficult. Why would we want to do that? Aren't we the land of the free and the home of the brave? I know I've heard that somewhere before. Let's be brave enough to allow the people to choose their representatives. When appropriate, let's allow the people to vote directly on their laws. Let's make being an American the easiest thing to do. Whether we agree about anything politically, I feel certain we can agree that voting is our most basic right. It's not to be reserved for straight, white, Christian, male landowners. It turns out the person farming the land for the landlord matters too. See, this is the thing. All people all are, human. All are human. I like some of them. I don't like others. This is true for all of us. But I also recognize that all of us, even people I don't like, deserve the best possible life. To get that sort of life, we need to be able to choose representatives that exemplify our interests. This would include the interests of those who have no money. That group is becoming larger all the time. The pandemic caused a massive rise in poverty. Their voices need to be included in the discussion. The voices of the rich have plenty of representation. Let's make it as easy as possible for those who don't have cars to drive to their polling places to vote. Let's make it as efficient as we can for people who live on roads with no names and no power to make their voices heard. They're Americans too. Let's make sure that the newsroom's Dorothy Cooper can vote. Oh, you don't know her? I'll drop a link to the video in the show notes, but this is what Will McAvoy tells us in an episode of the fictional show, The Newsroom. Dorothy Cooper is a 96-year-old resident of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and has been voting for the last 75 years. This year, she's been told she can't. 
A new law in Tennessee requires residents to show a government-issue photo ID in order to vote. Dorothy Cooper doesn't have a driver's license because Dorothy Cooper doesn't have a car. Dorothy Cooper doesn't have a passport. A vacation abroad was never in her future. Tennessee isn't alone. At this moment, 33 states have proposed or already adopted the same voter ID laws that have disqualified Dorothy Cooper from the one fundamental thing that we all do as Americans. It's estimated that 11%, or roughly 20 million people, don't have the government-issued voter IDs and will be disenfranchised this November. Why? Want to crack down on the terrible problem of voter fraud. Governor Rick Perry of Texas, who is about to enter the presidential primary race, is serious about cracking down on the problem. Rick Perry. Making sure that there's not fraud, making sure that someone is not manipulating that process makes all the sense in the world to me. Me too. Because voter fraud is such a huge problem that during a five-year period in the Bush administration, when 196 million votes were cast, the number of cases of voter fraud reached 86. 86. Not 86,000, 86. Here's what that number looks like as a percentage of votes cast. 0.00004%. Four one hundred thousandths of a percent. This would be called a solution without a problem, but it's not. It's just a solution to a different problem. Dorothy Cooper should be able to vote. No matter who she votes for, her voice is one that should be counted. She is no less of a person because she has no driver's license. John Cavanaugh, a lawmaker right here in Arizona said, there's a fundamental difference between Democrats and Republicans. Democrats value as many people as possible voting and they're willing to risk fraud. Republicans are more concerned about fraud, so we don't mind putting security measures in that won't let everybody vote. But everybody shouldn't be voting. He pointed to Democrats' emphasis on registering voters and pursuing those who have not returned ballots, tactics that Republicans have successfully implemented in other swing states, and said doing so means that you can greatly influence the outcome of the election if one side pays people to actively and aggressively go out and retrieve those ballots. Not everybody wants to vote. And if somebody is uninterested in voting, that probably means they're totally uninformed on the issues, Kavanaugh said. Quantity is important, but we have to look at the quality of the votes as well. The link will be in the show notes. There is no such thing as quality in voting, Mr. Kavanaugh. If someone is uninformed, let's do better at getting them the facts. Even Huck Finn's pap should have the right to vote. Trigger warning. The following sequence, quoted from Mark Twain, 
makes use of a word I will never use myself and that I do not wish to hear anyone else use. I decline, however, to edit America's first great writer. Oh, yes, this is a wonderful government, wonderful. Why, well, looky here. There was a free nigger there from Ohio, a mulatter, most as white as a white man. He had the whitest shirt on you ever see, too, and the shiniest hat. And there ain't a man in that town that's got as fine clothes as what he had. And he had a gold watch and chain and a silver-headed cane. The awfulest old gray-headed nabob in the state. And what do you think? They said he was a professor in a college and could talk all kinds of languages and knowed everything, and that ain't the worst. They said he could vote when he was at home. Well, that let me out. That let me out. That thinks I, what is the country a coming to? It was election day, and I was just about to go and vote myself if I weren't too drunk to get there. But when they told me there was a state in this country where they'd let that nigger vote, I drawed out. I says, I'll never vote again. Then the very words I said, they all heard me, and the country may rot for all me. I'll never vote again as long as I live. Are you enjoying this show? It's even better without commercials, and that's available only on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes, and I would love to have you join us there. We have a great community. Since you're listening in a free podcast app, I have another request. First, thank you. Thank you. Anchor, which hosts the show, counts only your numbers. They ignore all the plays we get on Patreon, and it looks like the show doesn't have much of an audience. We get more than twice as many plays on Patreon as we do here. But you can help with that in two ways. One, please share the show with your friends who you think will enjoy it. Every single listener matters to me. Two, Write me a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm told that's supposed to be the best way of increasing your audience. I have one review now, and I have six ratings. Your review would double my number, and you will have earned my gratitude, even if it's not an entirely favorable review. If you're a Twitter user, I'm not, but Jenner handles it for me, or an Instagram user, which I'm also not, but my friend Natalie and her son Winston run that for me. Follow me there and retweet or whatever it is you do. I'm at Front Porch Fred on Twitter. I don't know what I'm called on Instagram, but it can't be hard to find. Now, let's get back to the show, and thanks for your help. Heather Cox Richardson, whose daily news summaries are sufficient to cover most of my news needs, showed us how much voting matters. March 10, 2021, Wednesday. Today was a big day for the United States of America 
the House of Representatives passed the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, accepting the changes to the measure that the Senate had added. This bill marks a sea change in our government. Rather than focusing on dismantling the federal government and turning individuals loose to act as they wish, Congress has returned to the principles of the nation before 1981, using the federal government to support ordinary Americans. With its expansion of the child tax credit, the bill is projected to reach about 27 million children and to cut child poverty in half. In half. In the half. bill, which President Biden is expected to sign on Friday. Update. Biden signed it on Thursday. Is a landmark piece of legislation. Reversing the trend of American government since Ronald Reagan's 1981 tax cut. Rather than funneling the money upward in the belief that those at the top will invest in the economy and thus create jobs for poorer Americans, the Democrats are returning to the idea that using the government to put money into the hands of ordinary Americans will rebuild the economy from the bottom up. This was the argument for the very first expansion of the American government during Abraham Lincoln's administration, and it was the belief on which President Franklin Delano Roosevelt created the New Deal. Unlike the previous implementations of this theory, though, Biden's version, embodied in the American Rescue Plan, does not privilege white men, who in Lincoln and Roosevelt's day were presumed to be family breadwinners. It moves money to low-wage earners generally, especially to women and to people of color. Representative Rosa DeLauro, a Democrat from Connecticut, called the child tax credit, quote, a new lifeline to the middle class. Franklin Roosevelt lifted seniors out of poverty, 90% of them with Social Security and with the stroke of a pen, she said. President Biden is going to lift millions and millions of children out of poverty in this country. Republican lawmakers all voted against the bill, despite the fact that 76% of Americans, including 59% of Republicans, like the measure. Still, the disjunction between the bill's popularity and their opposition to it put them in a difficult spot. Senator Roger Wicker, Republican, tweeted positively about the bill this evening, leaving the impression he had voted for it. Twitter users wanted no part of the deception, immediately calling him out for touting a bill he had opposed, although he had been a Republican co-sponsor of the amendment about which he was boasting. The link is in the show notes. This is why we need to have the greatest possible number of people voting. When we have more voters, we can pass legislation that actually helps people. Those who are opposed to helping the poor are going to need to defend their votes in upcoming elections. Voting 
is how we hold our representatives accountable. Our representatives decide who will be able to vote. They decide who will be able to stave off for one more month the plunge into a poverty from which there is often no escape. They decide who will be the judges that interpret our laws and who will be the people who will enforce and prosecute them. Their decisions directly affect your life. You need to have a voice in choosing who will make those decisions. Even if you entirely oppose all of my political views, I think we agree that we must protect our ability to vote. It's all the power we have. Vote against all of the programs I endorse, if that's your wish. But let's allow this to be a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Isn't that the least we should have if we're to be called a free people? If it were up to me, we would scrap the Electoral College, which has more than once robbed the candidate with the most votes of the presidency. If I had been a Trump voter in Arizona in 2020, I would have felt disenfranchised because my vote didn't matter. More Arizonans voted for Biden than Trump, so slightly over half of the votes in Arizona counted, while the rest were irrelevant. Who's better off for this? I would prefer that every vote counted equally. My one vote in Arizona is worth as much as someone else's one vote in California, although they have five times as many electoral votes as we do. I have read that part of the reason we continue to have the Electoral College is because of the legacy of slavery. A national popular vote would have kept slave owners from getting votes on behalf of their slaves. This was unacceptable at that time. Slavery is, however, I'll remind you once again, at least ostensibly gone. Perhaps the Electoral College could follow it. As it stands, I am more certain that either a Republican or a Democrat will be elected president in 2024 than I am that Valerie Bertinelli will not be inviting me to dinner before then. I did an entirely unscientific and informal survey on my Facebook page. It offers me nothing beyond what the few friends who commented thought but those were the only people with whom I was concerned anyway. Most of them thought that most people need to be able to vote. There were a few who brought up age as being a requirement, and a few who wanted it limited to citizens and withheld from those currently incarcerated. But there was some debate about why those in prison cells shouldn't be allowed to vote. Some believed violent criminals shouldn't be allowed to vote, as it would be a fitting punishment. I'm not sure if I agree with that. It will require more thought. A good point was made that, at 16, many of us are working already. If we're working, we're paying taxes. 
if we're paying taxes, we should be represented. There was something in American history about taxation without representation. If memory serves, we fought an entire war about that idea. It seems reasonable to let someone vote at 16. The consensus was that 12 is too early. That's a topic about which I would love to hear more. You might leave me your thoughts at 480-331-9822. I promise I won't answer the phone. Just leave me a voicemail and I'll play it and respond on the air. There was a suggestion that, quote, people who incite or engage in insurrection against the United States government and its citizens, end quote, shouldn't be allowed to vote. I think that's an interesting idea. It's as though they have already decided voting is not how a government should be run, so I think that may be a valid point. No one found any value in voter suppression laws. They are being proposed all over the country. My state, Arizona, has proposed nearly two dozen bills to make it more difficult to vote. We can speculate about why. I have a Facebook friend who constantly contends the Republicans can win only by cheating. I would like for Republicans, Democrats, and any other political party to win by convincing the greatest number of people that their ideas are the best ones for running our nation. And I would like voting to be an easy right to assert. Vote by mail. Vote by dropping off a ballot in a conveniently located collection box. Put voting booths everywhere. Set them up inside Walmarts. Let's find voters where they are, and let's listen to what they want. In this way, we can save our country. In this way, we can allow more people to shine. To shine. To shine. While I still have you, I wanted to mention something entirely irrelevant to this episode but that gave me a bit of joy this week. These are just a couple of moments collected from my physical front porch. The mother, who lives two doors down from me, just told me she listened to an episode of my podcast. That made me unreasonably happy. Her 11-month-old son has a fever. He's perfectly happy, she tells me, but she took him to the doctor to be safe. I told her, I hope he gets better soon. My next door neighbor believes I'm famous. I find that amusing. I don't believe it will ever be true. This is my life now. I think there's something lovely about it. It's quiet. It's simple. It's mine. It's mine. I hope yours is the same. Let's vote to make sure that happens for everyone.
Jeff Bezos has more money than I ever will. And yet, seriously, I feel more fortunate than I believe him to be. I have something he doesn't have. I have enough. There's a scene in the movie version of The Old Man and the Sea in which Spencer Tracy, playing an impoverished fisherman named Santiago, gets an extra cup of coffee before beginning his 85th day without taking a fish. He has a smile of such deep and genuine gratitude, you almost envy him. He found more joy in a single cup of coffee than I do in a case of Diet Pepsi. He didn't take it for granted. It was beautiful. I have learned to take nothing for granted. I hope my little victory inspires you to continue to try. There's something beautiful in the fight. You have helped me with, to win mine, although many of you are very different from me. We discussed that last month, though, so we'll move on to gratitude. These are the names of the people in our community. These are people to whom I am grateful not only for their financial support, but for opening their minds to my ideas. You may reject them, but you consider them, and I'm honored to have the privilege of talking to you. Our patron saints are Alex Oliphant, who I don't know has ever heard a single episode of Fred's Front Porch, Jenner Zeno, and Jean Louise Finch. I have added to this list David Russell, who gave me a place to live, thereby actually keeping me alive for six weeks. Thank you, David. I'm beyond grateful. And I don't know that David has ever heard an episode of this show either. Our producers are Edith Keeler, Coralie Day with Scott Knight. Our patrons are Sherlock, the mystery patron, Utopia 42, Kevin Boyce, and Joe March. I want to welcome the amazing Barbara Hauser to this group. I'm so glad to have yet another Sarah Nimitz fan on the porch. Thanks, Barbara. Our sponsors are Ken Wooten, Chris Donnelly, Corey Pluard, Claude Burt Lansden, Jesse Rogers, Virginia Rupert, the Mindwave Podcast, to which you should listen often, Scott Shelby, Mark Rosemont, Michelle Freeman, Laura Engram, Elizabeth Bennett, and Zaref. Our supporters are Judy Morris, Amos Stewart, Bill Parkman. Thank you to all of those folks. We also have as supporters Michelle Sylvester, Marley Maple Miracle, Ursula Phillips, Carrie Dale, Pavel Shabayev, Sarah Nimitz, John G., David Miller, Christine L. Patterson, Chuck Curry, Christopher Hitchens' friend, Corey, 
Natalie, and our tearless and tireless supporter, Jereen. I'd also like to have a special welcome to our newest supporter, Jefferson, who is, I believe, also a Sarah Nimitz fan. Welcome, Jefferson. We're glad to have you. Our anchor sponsor is Zara. Our anchor supporters are Lori Shea, Daniel H., Cindy Mandel, Corey, again, Piper K. Young, A.A. Milne, John Donovan, Stacy Height, and Sharon Reddy. Thank you for sharing this journey with us. It is, as always, in the darkest skies that the stars shine most brightly. All of us will shine together. Thanks for letting me share my thoughts and ideas with you. Follow me at Front Porch Fred on Twitter. And get your episodes early and commercial free on Patreon. See you next week. Produced by Studio Stargazer.